Wow, hey, great party, John. This is awesome. Happy birthday. Oh, thanks, man. I really appreciate that you came. As you can see, you know, I got the cake here. I you got, got a the clown. Yeah, clown over here. Bouncy castle, castle over here. Uh, man, it's it's quite a good. Wait. Hey. hey yeah, check this out. Hey, look. Look at me, John. What? Get down from there, Eric. You're so high up. It's all for you, John. Everything's for you. It's all for you. No. Eric, are you okay? Are you crazy? You could have hurt yourself. That was the high dive. You can't swim. What were you thinking? What? The dog told me to do it. Welcome to the Terror Test. I'm Eric. And I'm John. And as fans of horror, our goal is to weigh the merits of films based on three categories, production, monster quality, and scare factor, to decide whether to admit them into our sacred horror canon. In this podcast, we'll put horror movies to the test to determine what to watch next, what's worth revisiting, and what to recommend to the uninitiated. Number two pencils ready, and begin. All right, well... Moving right along um, in our ABCs of Terror, this time we are uh, going through O and P. And O is for... The Omen. Yes, the 1976 release directed by Richard Donner, written by Richard Seltzer. Starring Gregory Peck as Robert Thorne, Lee Remick as Catherine Thorne, David Warner as Jennings, and Harvey Stevens as Damien. <laughs> yeah, so let's start with production. The film is timeless in the power and effectiveness of its writing, directing, uh, act, acting, cinematography, special effects, iconography, and portrayal of its subject matter. All right, I have to ask, is was is the name Damien, was that like connected to the devil before this movie? Before this movie? I don't think so. Is there supposed to be sort of like a translation that's happening there? So like... I don't know. It's just now now you now think of yeah. the omen when you hear the word Damien. Yeah. But I wonder if like before the movie it was I you know, mean linked I, I to I think it's after the fact. I, I originally it, it's like got Greek roots. It yeah. looks like there's stuff about it meaning one who tames or subdues. Hmm. Which I guess would be, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, they're just, maybe they're just playing the alphabet game and want a D for devil. I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, yeah, we could do some more research on that if we wanted. Yeah. It looks like there's a Saint Damien who martyred with his twin brother Cosmo in Syria early 4th century. Um, patron saint. But I don't think, not in the same sort of like evil yeah, you know, son of Satan, because it sounds Antichrist evil, kind of way, but it may just be because of the omen. I, I I think I think that's what it is too. So like the omen's coming out, you know, in the midst and probably was a like forefather to satanic panic. Mm -hmm. um, and I 
I think it's just with a lot of things in this movie, the hype and the legend of it is what sticks with people. But the actual movie, I think people forget about. <laughs> yeah. To be honest, there are some parts of the plot that are forgettable. Yeah. Well, I think this this is very much like a B movie. Yes. With like some A list actors. I agree. I forgot. See, that's the thing. I forgot a lot about this movie. Granted, I probably didn't see it. Last time I saw it was probably when I was 12 or 13. Mm -hmm. But um, I forgot that Gregory Peck was in it. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, awesome. Oh, yeah, then, the great fatherly figure I know. <laughs> of Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. The pulsome, like, scandal. Like, it's his oh, fault. Yeah. It's totally his fault. Right. Otherwise, Damien would have grown up in the church. Yeah, and, and you also have that great image of him at the end, you know, with a dagger over a child. Yes. It just seems like a total, I don't know, blasphemy of <laughs> of Gregory Peck's image, you know? Uh, oh, yeah. I, I bet that's what they're playing with there. They wanted somebody very fatherly. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure it was. Um, and, you know, kudos to Peck for, you know, kind of being brave with that and playing with his, you know reputation i guess yeah um but um yeah i don't know what else do you think i think the score is notable in this uh you know as, as it's it's, it's become a pair it's over the top and it's become parody and so that's where it is in my mind it's not scary to me anymore it's yeah. like you have lots of comedies where it'll do those quick shots where it's just it, maybe it's not the same exact score but it's something with uh -huh. like those like choir um, like the men's choir mm -hmm. or um, sort of the cathedral sounding uh, choir voices is it, it's just become parody at this point. Yeah. Um, and the staring like the like cutting to that music with the staring of, mm -hmm. of a child. Um, and so I, I think the score is notable. I do like that. I think it's iconic. Um, but for a lot of me, a lot of parts of the movie, in terms of like its effects in trying to make me scared, it didn't work. It just made me laugh. It's it's pretty cheesy. It's, uh, the the plot of this movie is pretty silly. Yeah. When you boil it down, the fact that he he lies to his wife yeah. about the death of their child, and that's uh -huh. how the movie. That's in the first like ten minutes. Oh yeah. That's the premise of this movie. Yeah, well, she wanted a baby, so I guess it doesn't matter who it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think there are lots of this, parts of this movie that are iconic. It's the it's got the creepy children factor. Yeah, um, he is a little terror, uh -huh. uh, and this, the creepy dog. The dog. Um, uh, I mean, one of my favorite scenes is with the nanny, who the you know new, the new nanny or the the original and okay. nanny. Who jumps off the manor? Yeah, um, I think that part is just genuinely disturbing. Yes, um, but then other parts, like parts with the wolves, or the, when the zoo. yeah, <laughs> with the the, the um, like when it's really windy out and um, the father gets you know impaled on that rod. Um, yeah, yeah, oh my gosh, <laughs> that's intense. He can't get into the church, goofy. he can't get yeah. in the church, and then boom, it's not even just like a fence post, it's the entire lightning rod on top of a building. Yeah, that's where it gets into like, um, <laughs> yeah. 
Final Destination territory. Yes, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, so it's like it's the it's those plot points that are yeah. silly, but it's like the idea. Um, ideas in this movie again are you know perpetuated satanic panic. Um, I think have also been used in later films. Like I think I talked to you about the Good Son with Macaulay Culkin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really dark. It has a lot of these same themes, but I think is way creepier than this. Now it probably yeah. deserves a rewatch, mm-hmm. but sort of that like you know the inherent evil. It's just a play on that idea that babies are instead of being born inherently good or as a blank slate, they are mm-hmm. inherently evil, which is even creepier. Yeah, well, I think like the biblical aspect of that is kind of what brings this over the top because yeah, yeah if if you took like a more realistic take i i can um like a great example that just came to mind is we need to talk about kevin have you seen that no okay so it's about um it's from the point of view of this mother who um whose son uh ends up uh committing like uh uh mass killing at school um and so it doesn't focus just on that. Um, it focuses, the book focuses on her entire development, like raising her child. Mm-hmm. But it has this kind of omen quality to it where um, the the relationship between the mother and the son is always at odds. And it's just kind of this idea that your child, you know, isn't necessarily going to love you and... Hmm. Um, it's not going to turn out okay for you as a parent. Like it's kind of like no matter what you do, you're going to fail as mm-hmm. a parent. Um, <laughs> and I think that it was really realistic in um, we need to talk about Kevin here because it's like the Antichrist and you know Damien was born from a jackal and all that stuff. It just it kind of gets goofy, and so. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't production wise, I have trouble uh giving it a point despite the actors. Like I, there's a lot of just a lot of silliness. Um Yeah, but this is from Richard Donner, and the other thing that I know him from is Superman. And I think it really like his kind of cheesiness works in those original Superman movies. Yeah, I and I have trouble separating this movie from it's resulting movies. You know what I mean? It's like, could you have Kevin or the good son or those other without the omen or Damien, the omen two, or the three, omen three, the final conflict Four. Omen and four, the awakening. <laughs> I mean, just get, get on the with the apocalypse already. Remake. <laughs> yeah. The 2016 TV series. Yeah. Damien. Let's let's let the apocalypse happen. Take yeah. it too long. Damien. Well, it's interesting because, you know, I think Rosemary's Baby is one of the most acclaimed horror movies ever. No. And she gives birth to the Antichrist, or like the son of the devil, yeah. right in there. But here we it's like we see the Antichrist being raised, and perhaps it it has more to do with like this kid who I mean he's just a kid. He's not, like you don't really get, I would say, good acting from him. Um he tantrums it's more like things happen around him rather than he does anything the only thing that he really does is like he lets his mother fall right and that part i think was disturbing Mm -hmm. because you're seeing a kid just allowing his mother to fall and you know break her neck um 
But the rest of it is that goofy, you know, um, supernatural stuff that I, I don't know. I'm just, I, I guess I'm conflicted by the tone. Um, it just seems to be at yeah. odds with itself at times. Right, let's see. Special effects. Are there really any special effects, effects besides the, um, the lightning rod? Uh, okay. Did you blood? notice in this one scene where Gregory Peck is like at a billiards table? There's like a really creepy painting behind him. Yes. Yeah. What is it of? I don't know. I try to find a picture of it online and it's, it has like a person in the foreground with a hat and it looks like a it's child like a, or something. And then a dog, perhaps a mother and a dog in the back. But it just, what is that? It looks so weird and just completely out of place. That's weird. I mean, that the hat looks like a clown and it's like polka dots. It's like yeah, a clown outfit. And it almost looks like, I don't know, like a, a computer generated image from like, the 90s you know like <laughs> it's blue it has kind of I that no idea cgi look to it it's so bizarre um and yeah, yeah like i said it's, it's out of place with you know this guy is um he's an ambassador you get a lot of just like really regal looking locations um yeah. which i think that is interesting like the fact that he is an ambassador I would kind of prefer to see a little bit more of like that political angle angle than the religious angle. Yeah, I think that's an interesting take. I mean, of course, the devil's son would, you know, you know, make his way and be planted in a future. They make so many references to him being a future president. Right. And like one thing that you need as an ambassador is like you need to have an open mind. You need to be diplomatic and, you know, someone who sees the world in black and white good versus evil doesn't really have a place in diplomacy that's where you have like them versus us and that's where mm -hmm. you know world wars start and so i think that is a potential a potentially good idea but it's not really explored in yeah. any way and it's not like what's what's crazy to, to, to think about with that too it's not like damien i mean if damien influences his father because like the ending where his father's the president or the president has like adopted him yeah right yeah. so uh, you assume that okay maybe he can exert his influence on the president but it's not like it's not like he's gonna inherit that position no. You know what I mean? Uh, it's only going to run its course for so long. So I guess it puts Damien in a position of power, yes, but as like a five or six-year-old boy. Right. You know, not as an adult, which I guess that's probably what the sequels do is like just wake, working his way up the ladder. Yeah, I know. Damien. The... I know like Sam Neill is in, in one of them is <laughs> kind of a grown-up Damien. Okay. Um, And so I think it's kind of meant to imply that like, He'll he'll grow up in the political arena, and then that will like be his his way into accessing the presidency. Which I just I wish there was just more there because, yeah. you know, not to get too political, but I think we are kind of able to see what it you know someone who you know can use it is using 
politics for like personal gain. And, oh, you mean nepotism? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and someone who doesn't have per, perhaps like the best interests of, you know, citizens at heart. Um, I think we can, you know, definitely explore that, but I'm just not sure that this movie's interested in that. Yeah. Um, and I think we should talk about that with Monster Quality too, how it's really not about, I mean, Damien, yes, it's all for you, but it's really not about Damien. This movie, it's about the people and the corruption around him yeah. and, and the, the outside forces that are propelling him into that seat. So I, I don't think I'm going to give it a point for production. There's okay. not enough there for me. Yeah. Um, then I will as a contrast because I would give it a half point if I could. Yeah. Um, okay. Because, you know, as a B movie, I think it's fine. Um, but I it's think, iconic. That's the thing. I think, yeah, there are some iconic parts. Um, but I think, yeah, upon rewatching it, it, it seems to be a movie that kind of rests better in your memory than like in a rewatch. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. Okay, well, let's move on to monster yeah. quality. Uh, films monsters are frightening, clearly relate to archetypal fears and have depth. And that's exactly what we were talking about is that to, for Damien and even surrounding characters, is there much depth? So the monsters, let's just go mm -hmm. son of Satan. Yeah. But oh. like how responsible is he for those deaths? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. How supernatural are his powers? Like is he really controlling, exerting nature and animals? Or is that an outside force? Yeah. Is that Satan mm -hmm. doing it all for Damien? Right. I don't know. I don't I don't know either. I mean the way that the movie it doesn't seem like he's pulling like a carry or a fire starter, like, you know, looking at something and making things happen psychically, mm -hmm. right? Well he's I mean, talking the problem to the dog, is sort of this like he's not the main character. Like he's he's yeah. a blank slate. Um yeah. he's he's just too too young and so we just don't have that. And so by choosing to have gregory peck as our protagonist we just we don't get enough of of damien yeah and i would even be more interested in having uh you know one of the nannies be one of the protagonists if we were following her like she's on a mission to mm -hmm. support and protect damien and make sure he's on the path that whatever the that yeah. following or cult um well i wonder like to do perhaps because so much of the movie is spent like figuring out the mystery of his origins yeah you know that i i feel like perhaps the movie would be better served if that just <laughs> was brought like that was figured out much earlier and mm -hmm. then you know, we would see the consequences of that play out. Yeah, and I mean, that's the, I would be interested in talking to somebody too who saw this for the first time and didn't know mm -hmm. what the omen is. Yeah, that experience must be. I mean, I can't, I can't even think back to not knowing, but because it's like uh -huh. such a cultural reference, I think it'd yeah. be hard pressed to find somebody mm -hmm. where that reveal mm -hmm. that he's, you know, he's the Antichrist would be shocking. Yeah. I think the the cool thing like finding the the mark of the beast under his hair and stuff like that's all again that's all iconic but mm -hmm. um yeah i think relates to archetypal fears i mean the fear of the antichrist is real yeah and i think it does like kind of plant the seeds of like you know 
he begin Gregory Peck's character begins as a skeptic. Mm-hmm. Okay, and mm-hmm. then through the series of events, he um, he he becomes a believer. Um, and so it's kind of like, what will it take for a parent mm-hmm. to turn against their child? Mm-hmm. But because of like the extraordinary circumstances around it, you know, with the switch at birth and all of that, it just it kind of takes away what I think would make this a really interesting drama. Yeah. And I think one of the the fears that does come through and why I'm I'm kind of willing to give it a point in this category because the monster is so iconic um, is that it gets into that archetypal fear of, you know, man's capacity to do evil and capacity for evil that maybe even innately because ultimately that's what that's what Gregory Peck is going to have to do, right? He's going to have to commit an act of evil. But yeah, I mean, but is it evil? Can he go through with it? That it's still <laughs> it's murdering a child, is it? But it, if it's if it's the Antichrist that will bring about the apocalypse, I don't know. But I think um, that's the question it raises: is like, can you even if it is the Antichrist, mm-hmm. can you still kill yeah. a child? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what do you think? You're you're going to give it a point? I think so, just because of again. I think we're coming at it from like a modern viewers and I'm willing to give it that concession that like, okay, uh, you know, for its time, uh, the Satan baby (laughs) Mm -hmm. is, is a good monster. And I think it raises a lot of those questions that you said of those outside auxiliary characters. Um, Even though we would like to see more, maybe could have more depth. I think the quality is there. The intent is there. I think, you know, obviously this, this movie is not the only one to kind of explore the idea of the Antichrist. Um, And and so I think that monster as like this, um, I don't know if I want to say like mythological creation or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, religious, you know, figure or or whatever. Um, But I, I think the Antichrist is a potentially like really interesting monster. Mm-hmm. But I think the way that it's portrayed in this movie is not that interesting. Leave something to be desired. Yeah. Yeah. Bec- for all the reasons that we talked about, I mean, if this would explore more of like politics or, you know, if it wasn't so strung up on, you know, having these weird final destination like deaths <laughs> of people, then I think there'd be something there. But because Damien is just such a blank slate. And we do get hints of people, you know, like the nanny who is, you know, a supporter of of him, like a worshiper. Um, I, I just don't think it's enough. So I don't think I'm going to give it a point. All right. So scare factor. The film has clear intent to scare and must be successful in that objective from beginning to end. It's not really scary. I think there's some truly like unsettling moments like with the nanny committing suicide and damien the look on all those kids faces is terrifying yeah it's a pretty horrific scene um and um the mom falling even though she only falls a story i mean it doesn't seem like she would die from that but she somehow lands and like snaps her neck or something yeah not quite clear but just that that image of of damien just watching 
his mom die. Um, I also love, you know, that shot of Gregory Peck holding the dagger above, you know, the mm-hmm. child. I think that, you know, just watching um, a man attack a child, a father attack his son. I mean, I think that there's something there, but overall it's, it's just so goofy. Yeah. yeah, like with the zoo, with the wind. Um, there's just not enough there for it to be scary from beginning to end. Yeah, and for creepy kid movies, this is not the scariest creepy kid movie. No. Uh, are you scared? Uh, does Children of the Corn frighten you? The idea of Children of the Corn, I remember watching that movie when I was young and thinking, oh, this is kind of cheesy. Mm-hmm. Um I haven't, you know, watched it in a long time. Should probably do that one too. Oh, we'll have to. Yeah. But it's one of those, yeah. It's one of those where the idea of it and the memory of it rests in your head, and it's one thing versus the the movie itself. So, I and like if if we had somebody who was uninitiated watch this movie as their first horror movie, I don't think it would. I don't know. I would never tell someone, "Oh, you want to know more about horror? You've got to watch The Omen." Right. Yeah. It seems like it's such an iconic movie, but. I think it's just a very middle-of-the-road horror movie. Yeah. Rosemary's Baby is better. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's not it's not offensive, but it's just, it's not great. Yeah. Should it be honorable mention? I know it didn't get the score. It but... didn't get the score. Yeah. So I'm going to say no to that. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. Now let's get to a good one. <laughs> okay. Uh, so our next movie is P for Peeping Tom, which was released in 1960. Directed by Michael Powell, written by Leo Marx, starring Carl Carl Boehm as Mark, Moira Shearer as Vivian, and Anna Massey as Helen Stevens. Uh, start production. Okay. Uh, so mm-hmm. this movie came out the same year, Psycho. Yeah. Okay. And so that's always interesting to think about. And people refer to it as the British Psycho, yeah. which we can talk about. Because, yeah, I mean, we have, you know, a similar story in that we have, you know, a young man who uh, commits violent acts against women um, and who is psychologically damaged. Like, they both kind of take a psychological point of view. Um, However, this movie, instead of becoming a huge blockbuster, um, it ruined Michael Powell's career for several years. Um, just were people so disturbed is that yeah people found it so repulsive um that hardly anyone saw it and like the critics and everyone who did see it just it was just, just too found early. it reprehensible it was just too early it was you know this I mean? is like, a classic example of a movie ahead of its time yeah yeah this is going to say because i feel like and and like we've noticed in terms of production is that there are many directors who cite this as like what influenced and taught them how to make a movie. Didn't you say it was like Scorsese said that? Yeah, uh, Scorsese and Coppola both um, really admired the film, and they, I think they kind of helped Michael Powell get off the blacklist or, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. um, helped him find some work. But, yeah, I mean, this movie, it, I feel like if I were to teach Horror 101, this would be yeah. in the curriculum. Um, it just, it does a lot of really great things that you could see have influenced the genre, you know, since then, um, the, the point of view, um, shots from, you know, the camera, it, 
it forces the the viewer to become complicit in the crimes Mm -hmm. and i i haven't seen i I don't think there's been a movie before this that had done that and so i think that's um you know part of the genius of this movie yeah and it's something so going back there's a um a book that we have in our bibliodrome uh the men women and chainsaws Mm -hmm. uh but what it i i pulled something from there where she writes that this film um, has such candor and clarity in terms of its vision and use of perspective, especially the male gaze. It's so pronounced in this movie that um, not heavy handed, but it's saying something about Mm -hmm. that male point of view. And like you said, and as we, as the audience members, how complicit we are in these like vicious acts. Yeah. um, The protagonist is, is committing. I just think, in terms of production, oh, I can't say enough about this movie. It's great. And it's a beautiful looking movie. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that some of the great iconic shots are like when um, Mark is like, anytime he's with a camera, he's like fondling the camera. Uh-huh. There's one part where he kisses the camera. Uh-huh. It's like that is... Gets his... jealous when other people touch and hold it. Yeah. Like yeah. that is like his one true emotional attachment. And mm-hmm. and I think that's fascinating. Um, and it's well acted. Carl Bohm is, you know, really convincing, convincing as this, um, sad, lonely man who, you know, grew up with pretty emotionally abusive father. Um, yeah. So his father was in the same kind of in a similar, but he was in search of fear. Right. And that why he was making those recordings of him. Yeah, and I believe he says somewhere that like he was in search of like the perfect shot of fear, yeah, or something, and so that was is what has been driving Mark. Um, um, kind of going with that with the one of the uh, really one of the great acting moments that stood out for me in this movie is the scene after he so he's just met the um, and forgive me for the names, but the the girl who lives downstairs, yeah. After her birthday party, like after mm-hmm. she comes up, and then she comes up again, and I, th- oh no, it's not the glass of milk part, but it's later when he's he's telling her, or she's trying to get him to go out, and he's telling her like maybe I don't know, I'll have to find out, mm-hmm. and then he starts like imitating like her gestures and reaction hmm. to try. It's like it's it's beautiful. It's it's where you get the true sense that he's a psychopath and he doesn't know how to feel emotions because he starts so just mimicking. He's her. mimicking her in gestures and like the way he moves his hands, and then he imitates her personality and responses in ways mm-hmm. that will get her to react. So very bubbly. Yeah. You notice like his demeanor completely changes mm-hmm. around her, and he's sort of protective of her. But there's a scene in the very beginning of that relationship where. He, you see him mimicking the way that they sit down together and move, and I just think it's fantastic. Yeah, it's like true psychopathic behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think Anna Massey is is great as Helen. Who, yeah, you know, she's just, you know, completely innocent. You know, mm-hmm. um, this kind of suburban, um, you know, woman um, who just is. The beauty to Mark's beast, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. um, and so you kind of get that classic, um, you know, monster and ingenue dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great, and I told you um, early on that I, there was something about this movie that made me that reminded me of Frenzy, 
the Alfred Hitchcock movie as Anna Massey's in Frenzy. Oh, gotcha. And so, like, that whole just, like, you know, 60s British look. I I guess Frenzy was 70s, but, you know, you just... It has a very unique aesthetic Mm -hmm. that I I like about both movies. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Um, but well, it's going to say about that. So the writing, there's so many, there's so much mention of gazing and looking and mm-hmm. watching and eyes. Yeah. And and did you, you see the it, name of I the, mean, it's just, yeah. um, great shots of when you're in the point of view shot and you're looking at women and you know, you just, yeah. And you, he's taking the pictures in the place that sh- sells the pictures yeah. of like the nudes or like uh-huh. semi nudes. And, um, did you notice the name of the movie that they were filming? The walls are closing in. Oh, and, so like, and then there's that part where he's like running. He's getting tailed by the detective, and he's running away. And then he's watching the detective watch yeah. the guy. Mm-hmm. It's just like it's so meta. It's great. Well, <laughs> I think it's what Alfred Hitchcock, you know, eventually did with Rear Rear Window. But mm-hmm. I think it's it's just done so brilliantly here, um, playing between, um, you know, uh, the man behind the camera and the man in front of the camera. Yeah. So it's it's great. I'm definitely giving it a point for production. Yeah, absolutely. So monster quality, we've kind of gotten into that. Our, I mean, Let's start with Mark, the, I guess. Mark, okay. Um, so he was abused as a child. Um, so something I found out in the special features is that the director Michael Powell played the father, hmm. and his son <laughs> was Mark the- as a son. Right, which is so just, one other layer. <laughs> I know, it just adds another layer to it, another oh, meta layer, um, where he's acknowledging like his role in like, you know, creating this character and and just forcing us to kind of watch this. Um, you know, we see his point of view. Obviously, we we talked about how he's intimate with his camera, um, and he commits acts of violence against women i mean this is it's gratifying to him and i'm not sure that the uh, yeah and there's a lot of like angst and frustration in that character that i love and i'm not sure if this comes up in men women chainsaws but as i say it i i think it's something that probably did come up is that sort of i feel like the reason for his killing and the attachment to film is film is the creation i mean his uh his weapon is so um uh what am I looking for um his weapon is so phallic mm-hmm. and it's just like it seems like it's the the ultimate male frustration is he can create but he really can't create because women are the only ones who can create mm-hmm. so he seeks out his revenge on them because yeah. you know like his his camera his his or his film is his baby and his camera is his lover mm. and it's like he can't like I think that's why he's killing them. And there's a whole like father son, yeah, dynamic thread through there. Yeah, it's it's great. It's uh, great. So I feel like that's part of the depth mm-hmm. to it. And I think there's some. I think on a larger scale, there is something about um, you know women and, and violence against women and the patriarchy and, and everything. Um, I think that is explicit in an early scene where you have you know Mark in the store that sells pornography and the kind of older man who comes in and and buys some and apparently he was like a really well-known character actor in his time and so it's kind of like seeing Gregory Peck as a murderer it's like seeing this like kind of 
warm, you know, kindly actor being a pervert. Mm -hmm. Um, But then, you know, he's looking at pornography and then this like young girl walks in and buys candy. And so, you know, it's, it's, you know, really hitting home the point that the relationship between, um, you know, the camera and women is one where the camera has power over women. Mm -hmm. It's destructive. It is. Um, It's objectifying. Yeah. And I think, so another monster in relation to that is that we, the audience members, are the monsters. We who are the voyeurs, we who Mm -hmm. are the peeping toms, Mm -hmm. are truly the monsters um, in this. And I love that, again, I feel like that point is not... I mean, sure, it's Im- it's implicit, but it's so like what what she said. It's so candid mm-hmm. um, in its explanation. Like you know what you're <laughs> being complicit mm-hmm. in. Yeah, and I feel like we've we've discussed this in other movies too. And I think that's one thing about the found footage genre that like mm-hmm. is appealing is that it kind of forces the audience into the perspective of the protagonist, and so it's you know engaging. But here it it just it plays with it in a in a really interesting way that even you know for a movie that is over fifty years old it still feels fresh. It absolutely does. So yeah, giving it a point for sure. Absolutely. Hey, scare factor. Um, so many suspenseful moments in this movie. Yeah. It, it, the first kill that we get to watch mm-hmm. um, when he's killing the the actress. Or rather, the she's like the stand-in, right? She's not the lead actress. She's like the body double or something for. Well, the very first one I thought was the prostitute. Oh, that's a. But I mean, where we see like the whole thing. Go yeah, down. yeah, yeah, yeah. We see him like mm-hmm. filming that one. Uh-huh. Um, but so I guess technically the second one, um, where we get to see it from like start to finish, so suspenseful because you know what's coming, mm-hmm. and it takes him so long to get his shot just right. Yeah. Yeah, man, it's, uh, it was. Oh, I yeah, mean, it's, it's great. I, I mean, I don't know if I could I say that it. this is like traditionally scary, the same way that you know The Exorcist is scary, but it's it's very suspenseful. Um, it's gripping. It has you invested in the characters, yes. and also in the message. You're just like, where is he going with this? You know, what is um, what is he trying to say? And um, then, you know, I think it has just a perfect conclusion, mm-hmm. you know, where he kills himself with all the cameras going off, you know, to mm-hmm. try to capture his death. It's just so tragic. And so, I, I don't know. What do you think about Scare Factor? I think it's there. I think it's meant, it's not supposed to be like scary in the traditional sense where like, boo. Mm-hmm. But I think it is supposed to be unnerving and disturbing and make make us question our own habits as viewers and audience members. Yeah, there are parts when like you're yeah, you're you're definitely made to be uncomfortable. And I would I would agree. Yeah. I would agree. What's the movie with uh Mark Duplass? Creep? Creep. I think Creep does a lot of things mm-hmm. that I don't know if it's intentional, but I think there's a lot of homage to this movie and Creep, and even the sequel, even more so in the sequel. Yeah. We haven't talked about the sequel yet. No, we'll have to get to Um, it sometime. It is an interesting sequel. But I think it goes down these lines. Yeah, whether you like it or don't, I think it, as a sequel, it's 
It's different. It's interesting. Yeah. But so anyway, but I, I, I want to give it a point. I think it's there. I, I think it's equally disturbing. But I think so. I, and I, I think it's a movie that belongs in the canon. I absolutely think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. So we have Peeping Tom in the canon and the Omen uh, just there, you know. <laughs> it's available. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. I remember gosh. seeing the remake in theaters. And so. Is that in I don't, I don't know. I mean. I, I haven't re- seen the remake. I remember thinking it was okay, you know, at the time. Um but there was something about just the cultural power of the omen that made me go see it because it's not like I was in lo- ever in love with the original. So I don't know. Um, maybe we'll visit it. Probably not. Um, but yeah, definitely. If you have to check out one movie um, this week, check out Peeping Tom. So that brings us to next time um, where we have Q which stands for A Quiet Place. Quiet Place. And R, which stands for Rabid, the David Cronenberg movie. <laughs> More Cronenberg on here. Um, okay. Can't well. get enough. Yep, so you can check out more episodes at unoyasolstice.com. Follow us at the underscore terror underscore test. And then later this week, um, for Rabbit, there will be a test prep from Stephen McClurg, so be sure to check that out. Um, leave any comments on the website or uh, send us a tweet. Pencils down. The terror test is over. Mm-hmm.